This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 27 of season 2. And today I am still recovering from three days of celebrating my eldest son's 30th birthday. We really blew it out, and it was worth it. He is worth it. We had so much fun, but I tell y'all what, when you get to 50-something, especially the later (laughs) 50-somethings, well, you can't party like you used to. So, I feel like I need an IV and about a week in the bed, but I'll be all right. I've got to keep moving my feet. We were a little behind in a lot of planting, and the next week is all about that. We've got our okra. It's about six, seven inches tall in little tiny cups and ready to go in the ground. I like to seed them that way and get them really sturdy before you put them in. Otherwise, the bugs get to them a little fast, and I want to give them a head start. But our green beans are already vining. They're losing their ever-loving minds, and that's a good thing. There is something just so simple and pure and magical about growing green beans, isn't there? It really is. It's this one (laughs) seed, this one bean, and, you know, gallons of green beans later. It's just, well, it's extraordinary watching it happen. You know, a garden doesn't wait for anybody. You can't just put that off and hope. The cycles and the earth, it's not something you can mess with. And when you do, you get out of balance. And I'm a little behind, but that means I have to push even harder. Once it's all in the ground, my job is to make sure that everything is watered. And then, you know, harvest doesn't happen for a little while. So I've got to push. I remember my mother making fun of me doing this kind of work and saying that it made no sense when there was a grocery store down the road. And there were some years I wonder why I'm still doing it. It's exhausting. It really is. And it's a little stressful at times, too, because you can't miss a window. You know, it all starts with seeding everything and then keeping it alive in case a freeze comes along in your little nursery. And then there's the planting time, and then there's fertilization. And my God, sometimes it's exhausting. Of course, nothing is as tiring as canning season, and that is coming. Oh, my God. And you can't put that off either. And I would rather can than freeze because, hey, if the grid goes down or something happens, you know, like a lightning storm, I'm not going to lose my entire year's work. Rather, I'm going to go back there and be able to pick from a big, beautiful shelf of color. But despite all that, despite all that stress that naturally comes with running a garden, There's also peace and a sense of accomplishment that happens that I can't get anywhere else. You know, if I've saved seeds and taken really good care of them, and I go put those down in the soil, and by the end of that year, I see all this gorgeous work waiting on me, you know, when it's cold and icky out, and I can make a stew out of everything I've put up, there's a sense of satisfaction and being part of that wheel of life. I will probably continue it as long as I'm able. I might not always do a CSA because that's a lot of work too, but 
as long as I have a few tomatoes and a little fresh okra and some garlic and onions and let's not forget those green beans and all my peppers because that's what I specialize in, I think I'll be happy. It may not be a whole lot one day, but it'll be something. And it's really important to remember how to grow food. And not everybody knows how to grow food. It's kind of a critical survival skill. So for the last week, we've been collecting mulberries, and that is a hard job. We've got a mulberry tree that's at least 40 foot into the air, and you cannot reach all that. And we don't worry about the birds and the squirrels. They're going to get their lot. But we lay out clean tarps and have to go out there and sift through it all. It's a lot of work, but oh my God, you just can't find mulberries in a store anymore. I don't know if you ever could. Because it's tedious work. They're very tiny. They're like elongated blackberries, but they're up in a tree. So my son's been helping me out, the one that turned 30. He's done a wonderful job of getting them all off of tarps and the roofs of things. And I do all the cleaning. I've been thinking if I can get enough up, I might do mulberry wine. Doesn't that sound nice? I reckon if the worst thing I have to complain about is I'm exhausted from picking figs and mulberries and pears and canning, that's a worthy exhaustion. And it keeps me on my toes, magically speaking. Keeps me remembering about the cycles and the seasons and the bounty that the earth has to offer. So I'm going to keep on going on it. But from my exhausted state, I did want to answer to a couple of things that I've been getting questions about recently. And one of those questions had to do with ancestors again. It seems like y'all really want to talk about ancestors and quite a lot. And as usual, I don't have any notes prepared for this, so I'm just going to roll with it. Let's look at our listener question. So this young, wonderful human being is Candace. She, her pronouns. And she wrote to me and said, I would love it if you could do an episode on ancestor work when your ancestors are a piece of work. (laughs) I was raised by a bunch of Southern Baptists. My mother recently passed away, but she, although wonderful in some ways, was very judgmental and incredibly narrow-minded about some things. Her family is the same way. I know there are some ancestors who practiced Appalachian conjure, but I don't know which ones, and now have no one to ask. And of course, they would recoil at the word witchcraft, despite it being nearly exactly what they practice. I have some serious ancestral trauma to work on, but have no idea where to begin or how to approach it. Knowing at best, I have disappointed ancestors, and at worst, very angry ones. Any thoughts on this? Well, yeah, I've got thoughts on it. I'm not a professional, but I have thoughts. I did do some work on this. Candace, a couple of episodes ago, don't really remember which one, but I have talked about ancestral trauma. And so I reckon the first thing that comes to mind is, are we absolutely positive that in whatever afterlife our ancestors reside, that they haven't had their own little moment in the sun and had a lot of things revealed to them where things make a lot more sense? I don't think any of us can know that answer for sure. But I would like to believe that there's a wake-up call (laughs) where a great-great-grandmother, who might have been very religious indeed, suddenly is in a position to see. Then again, I very much believe in reincarnation and 
we're not always sure if our ancestors are even in the ether. You know, they could be very much alive again. I've always found it funny, you know. We've heard all the sort of slide of tongue about nobody is ever just a regular peasant in the past. We were always something really huge, a princess or some such. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I don't necessarily think we're always born the same gender if we come back. And I don't think we're born the same race. And I don't necessarily cannot imagine why we would be born in the same religion. I think our souls get to know things, especially as they get older. So I wouldn't necessarily write off all of my ancestors that were a piece of work. (laughs) And I get exactly what you're talking about. Me too, sister. But at the same time, how far back are we talking? Because Christianity is rather young as a religion on the planet. Um, And therefore, you have ancestors who were predating that. If you feel more comfortable, perhaps speak to them. And you don't have to know their exact names. You just need to meet them, if that makes any sense. And I think all of us are concerned to some extent about whether or not we're talking to ancestors or working with ancestors that, well, are more than a piece of work, are somehow dangerous, not the best people in the world. And that can happen. I guess the point there would be to try to call forth and align and speak with the ancestors who are already looking out for you and caring about you, protecting you from behind the veil. Maybe speak just directly to them. And if they are already doing that work, they see that you're a witch and they see everything about who you really are in your heart. If they choose to protect and love you, knowing who you are. Those would be the ones to speak to. And they might help you work through some ancestral trauma as well. And I tell you what, honey, I've seen a lot of stuff online about accepting some of the behaviors and some of the situations of our ancestors in order to move past them. And I've read that what we reject, we repeat. And I want to tell you that I disagree. I mean, that's my point. That's where I stand. I'm not going to accept and bring into my life somebody who molested anyone, someone who was a wife beater. I'm not going to accept those people, even though they may be my ancestors. I don't have to. What I have to accept is that they were there, but I don't have to accept that presence as continuing on in my life. And when it comes to rejecting, I kick them all the way out. I don't allow them in. I have a little ritual for that, and you can write your own, but the ancestors I want to work with, the ancestors I want to honor, are the ones that I would sit with today and care about today. Why would I want to keep pulling that down in my line? It may be hard to reject them. It might be a little bit of work, and you might need help doing it, but I disagree. What we reject, we repeat. Wow. I and my partner and a lot of people I know were abused as children. We do not repeat that because we reject that behavior. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. We acknowledge it, which is different than accepting it. We acknowledge it. There it is. And then we kick it to the damn curb. And there are a whole lot of ways out there to start doing this work. Everything from family trees and research 
to finding what stories you can get from your ancestors and your people. You don't have to tell them what the purpose is going to be. You might just ask the question. To divination, where you're actually working to find out, and that could be all kinds of different ways to go towards that. Meditation, tarot, working with another witch, all kinds of things you can do. And not to defend a lot of ancestors, but I mean, if they grew up in a certain time, in a certain place, with a certain culture, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not good ancestors to work with. Again, we're not sure what they've been cleared up on, on the other side of the veil. If they're willing to work with you, if they're not angry, well, I don't see a problem there. I think the tough stuff comes in when we consider the fact that ancestral trauma can live on in our DNA. It can live on in our spirit. And it's important to locate some of that. It's important to address some of that so we can completely release it. And I don't think I'm doing a very good job, so I'm going to just have to tell a story. Growing up, I never heard the words, I'm sorry. I never heard it. It didn't matter if I had my mouth busted or if I were drugged through the fire of somebody else's anguish and resentment. And I was really just a bystander, but I ended up going through it all anyway. And I mean, some really nasty shit. Or if I was ignored, treated differently, all of that. I never heard, I'm sorry for any of it. Never. I never heard, I'm sorry for ripping me out of my home state and hiding in another state because of, well, child theft. I never heard, I'm sorry for telling me all of the painful ins and outs of a really messy divorce that ended up kind of epic. I never heard, I'm sorry for not explaining to me who my real father was. I never heard, I'm sorry. Growing up, I was always the guilty one. Growing up, it didn't matter what my parent did. It only mattered how she looked. So I suffered quite a bit without hearing an apology. What that did to me was make me feel guilty all the time, all my life. And you know, guilty people will act in the way that they're cast. And I had to really jerk myself out of that and become who I wanted to be. And now I have sons in my daily life and they are everything to me, as is my grandchild. And I have found myself wanting to hold on to pride when I realized I was wrong about something, wanting to stand there and just make it all clean. And the way to do that would be manipulation. And you know what? Every time I would try to pull something like that, that would be repeating the ancestral trauma, a pattern in my family line. And I wasn't going to do it. And so I started admitting when I was wrong. I started saying I was sorry for something that, you know, even if I didn't mean to do it, hurt one of my children. And while I did not do it in time for my eldest child, my two sons, I did stop spanking altogether. And I didn't do that because I read a book or someone told me it was wrong. I did that because I knew in my heart that beatings in my family, call them what you want, whoopings, spankings, whatever, They were violent, very violent. They were not measured in any way. And I was injured by that growing up. And I'm sure my parents were injured by that growing up. 
and I wasn't going to repeat it anymore. So I'm not really making a statement on whether you should or whether you shouldn't. I just knew it was a dangerous area for me. And so I quit altogether. I remember the day I did it, by the way. I was popping my eldest son. Uh, He may have had three or four spankings his whole life when I quit. But I was popping him because he had hit his brother. And with every little pop on his butt, I said, You do not hit this family. And the irony of that. I I just sort of woke up. (laughs) You know? Because... I was repeating ancestral trauma. I was doing it in a way that was blatantly in the face of everything I believed in. And I knew how much I'd been hurt as a child. And here I was replicating that. You know, if you have an alcoholic parent and it runs in your family, you might want to be careful. And uh, whoopings like that, really bad ones. His wasn't that bad, but still it hurt his heart. They ran in my family. They ran in my family. So I quit. And to be honest, religious trauma is all up and down my ancestral line. You know, what we do and what we can't do, or we'll end up going to hell. That bullshit, I wasn't going to repeat with my children. That meant that at one point I had a Buddhist, I had an atheist, and I had a Christian in my house because they were allowed to choose. I exposed them to different methodologies and theologies, and I let them be who they wanted to be. It was very difficult to take my youngest son to church. It was very difficult, but I did, because I didn't want to stand in his way if that's what he wanted. And it was a little harsh when my middle son told me he might be an atheist, didn't believe in anything. But I let him explore that. I got out of his way, because I didn't want to repeat that trauma on my children. Now, while there are a lot of gurus out there and books you could read, and some of them could be quite good because they give you wonderful ideas, honey. At the end of the day, my ritual is very simple. Most of my rituals are. A long time ago, I sat down and I did one to find the good and willing. The ancestors who were already protecting me knew who I was, knew the work I did, and wanted to stick around And we're not trying to hurt me or my family in any way. I did a ritual just to find them. Once I did that, I came up with a phrase for that. I came up with a phrase to call them. It was a beautiful experience. I felt things and saw things that blew my mind. But at the end of the day, I now know, you know, the smell of them, if you will. And I know who to call. I can't fix all of my ancestors or all of the trauma. I can only stop whatever that flow is with me to a certain extent, change it, change the direction of the water, if you will, fight to get things out of me that are poison, try very hard, even if it won't get out of me, not to pass it on to my children or anyone else for that matter. I do believe we can write our own stories to a certain extent. I don't believe we can completely escape ancestral trauma. It's going to be there. But scars are okay. What matters is what we do with it and how far we're willing to perpetuate that into the future. And I think you're already doing that work. There are times that I catch myself and I sound just like the person who abused me when I was a child. And I hear that voice coming out of me and I stop it. 
It may be in there, because, you know, what can I do about DNA? But at the end of the day, I don't have to echo it. I forgive myself for having it in me, because, you know, I'm kind of hard on myself, and a lot of us are. Well, what are we going to (laughs) do? There has to be some self-acceptance at some place. I look at myself like a filter. All of this is running through me, but there are going to be some things I refuse to let go downstream. Mm-hmm. And I turn to the good and willing of my ancestors, the ones that I called forth all those years before. I turn to them to help guide me, protect me, but also protect what I am putting down the line. Help me cleanse that shit, man, because we really don't want to perpetuate the problem. I hope that made a little bit of sense. I tell you what, honey, I know I put this out there a lot, but I will continually say that therapy is a wonderful thing. Um, When I found out I was going to have a granddaughter, that's where most of the trauma lies in my line is through the mothers and daughters. And I was very concerned. I didn't want to pass that on. That was important to me that that did not get passed on. And so I immediately sought therapy. Not for me so much. Really, the purpose was was that pretty little girl. It just, that inheritance has been passed on generation after generation after generation in my clan. And I knew that that baby was at risk. No matter how much I loved her, I could replicate something. I could let it slip, whatever that might be. Harsh attitudes about my own body. Um, the belief that beauty is everything when it's not. Resistance towards accepting whatever she wants to be, and I mean whatever, as long as it doesn't hurt others. So I took it upon myself to do something. I thought it was important. And the therapist I went to said that she had never had a grandma come to her and say, help me manage this. Help me assure that I do not pass down this unbelievable shit. And just by doing so, it made me more aware. And I think that's the first step honestly, and healing anything is becoming aware of it. And so what I do now is I fill a cup with water from our well. I put it on my altar outside. I call those beautiful, good and willing ancestors who some of them predate Christianity. Some of them were Christians. Some of them were witches. And sometimes they were at least two categories at the same time. But they are the ones who want to work with me. And they are the ones that I want to work with. And I fill that cup. And I thank them for their wisdom. And I thank them for what they pass down. Because sometimes, even the hard shit, it becomes a tool. Something that we learn from. They protect me. They guide me. I honor them. And through that work, I constantly become a better human being. And way better witch. So don't be afraid. If you have a Christian ancestor that is willing to work with you, why not let them? And don't forget about the ones in the way back, in the back 40 of your tree, of your family tree. You've got some that way predate that, or you wouldn't be here. So don't forget those. You know, I work a whole lot with heritage seed, heirloom seed, and I'm always saving my seed. But if I have a plant that was very diseased and has had a lot of trouble making it out here, I don't always save those seeds. Sometimes I just let the line die off. You know what, honey? They tell you 
to save the seeds from toward the end of the harvest season, not the beginning. The ones that made the biggest, most gorgeous fruit, those are the ones that will be your next line. I find that interesting because that means that the ancestral work of those plants is the hardiest, the toughest. They might have suffered the most, by the way. Uh huh. They might have suffered the most. I've gone through the most drought, have gone through the most pest pressure, but at the end of the day, they made the biggest pumpkin or they made the most delicious tomato. Those are the ones that you save the seeds from. In my estimation, the ones that I did save in my life when I did that ritual to find the ones that I could call on in my ancestral line, yeah, they might have suffered quite a lot. Some of them, the Trail of Tears, they have a lot of scar tissue. But that doesn't necessarily make them unworthy. And in fact, a lot of the times, those are the lessons I need to learn. Those are the ones I need to learn from. If they're still around me, and they still loving on me, and they might have been a different religion, but they are here, and they've got stories to tell, and they're honest and good and willing, I'm going to take those lessons. And if I have some not-so-great ancestors, I can know they're back there, but they're not welcome to the party, honey. Mm-mm. I'd have kicked out that son of a bitch if he had been living, so why would I accept him as an ancestor? I can know he's back there, but he does not get to sit at my table. And that is my choice, and that is how I'm working through ancestral trauma. And this may seem a little generic, but honey, I keep a journal on this. Anything to do with ancestral work, any stories I learn about, any reflections I might want to consider, that ancestral work, I need to go back and revisit it, and I need to look. So a good notebook on this. It'll do you wonders. You know, there's a story that's been popping up in my head a lot lately. I was my grandma's favorite. She didn't work very hard to hide it. And I think a lot of that had to do with being the first child, being her namesake, but also her knowing that I was treated so much differently than the others. She was definitely trying to make up for the lack of all that. But I was a very disturbed teenager. I I was a wild thing, y'all. And at some point around 17, I landed back over at her house from New Jersey, where I'd been taken. And she couldn't get me to listen to her. Her favorite thing was sitting on the porch. And no matter how much she tried, I was too into chasing boys and maybe a couple of girls and getting high. All the things that most teenagers do go through. But I was also just full of demons and darkness and my heart was broken by my childhood. So she couldn't get me to talk to her on the porch anymore like I'd always done. And I was staying with her. So one night she came home and I was in the bedroom probably listening to my radio. And she said, hey, I want you out on the porch. I want to talk to you. And I was like, I don't feel like it. And she kept on and she said, finally, you're getting your ass up and you're coming out to the porch. And so I did, belligerently and begrudgingly, and I sat down with my beautiful, angelic grandmama. And she had one of those basket swings, y'all know the ones. They looked like a half of an egg, and they were very popular in the 70s and the 80s. And she was in that, and I was sitting on the deck on a bench, popping my knee up and down. That was a thing I did when I had a lot of anxious energy. 
just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And she'd poured me a glass of sweet tea. Now, my grandmama hated smoking so much. She hated it almost as much as drinking, but that had to do with her daddy being an alcoholic. The smoking thing, man, she almost broke up with my grandpa when they were young because of it. That was not going to happen. She knew I smoked. She knew I ran off and had a cigarette in the woods, and she was desperate to speak to me, so all of a sudden she threw something at me, said, here, catch. It was a pack of Marlboro Reds. I don't know if y'all can hear the chickens going off, but I got to finish this podcast, so y'all going to have to hear chickens. And I was stunned. I was shocked. And I was like, what? And she said, well, if that's the only way I can get you to talk to me, we're going to sit here and you're going to smoke that pack of cigarettes and you're going to talk to me. (laughs) She said, I think we have some matches in the house. And I pulled a lighter out of my pocket and she said, well, what I want to talk to you about is, and I don't remember what it was. It was probably how the grapevine was doing in the backyard or what I might want for dinner or a story she had forgotten to tell me because she told me all of her stories. Nobody had ever asked all of her stories before, and I did, and I had them all memorized, and I think she just wanted that moment with me. Now, how does this relate? Well, that woman was firmly against smoking cigarettes, but when that was the only way she could speak to that teenager, she provided them. So you've got some ancestors who are a piece of work. (laughs) The truth is, so are we. (laughs) So are we, honey. And sometimes they will jump that trench. They will cross that divide to be able to speak to us. Just because they don't agree with our path or didn't when they were alive doesn't mean that that is in between the two of you now. Y'all know my grandma used to call what I do the touch. She would say, you've got the touch, baby girl. And asked me not to wish certain things because she knew if I did, they'd come true. (laughs) I would get really angry and say some such like, well, I just wish they'd haul off and die. And she would turn to me and put her finger in my face and say, you take it back. You take it back right now. Hurry up. Take it back. And this is the way we talk to each other when we know a thing is real, but we have different politics. My husband talks about magic to people all the time. They just think he's talking about Jesus, and he's not. (laughs) You know, there are ways to jump the divide. There are things our souls understand, and I'm not sure that death holds politics and religion. I don't think so. I think as witches, we already have tapped into something very ancient and deep and real. We know it, and we get to keep that when we leave. But the political structures of that, mm, I don't know that they hold up very well. Either has a way of dissipating that kind of shit, like a grandma wanting to talk to her grandchild on a porch. So don't hang it up on your ancestors yet, honey. You never know what they might be willing to do if they really love you. All right, well, I need to do a quick Patreon shout out. We've got three new patrons this week. They are Megan, Lauren, and Joanna. Thanks, y'all. You make a lot of difference. And we're having so much fun on our Facebook group. Don't forget to join it. All right, I've got okra to plant. I've got papers to grade. But I love y'all. And when I tell you I love you like chickens, honey, do you know how much I love my chickens? I'll see y'all next week. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast.
Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.